0: This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online space for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24 by 7 customer support. Try Squarespace today by going to squarespace.com and use the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going?
1: Well, I'm finding my way back to you, Merlin.
0: <laughs> I, I think I know the Frankie Valley version of that mm, best. Mm, mm-hmm. It's, I it's like a cover, right?
1: I, I like the way as you started to hum it, it's, you, you started to hum it and then sort of the trumpets came in and then you were kind of doing like a little bit of a marching band version of it. Tusk!
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm intrigued by what uh, marching bands decide to, uh, to play. I, you know, it's fun.
1: They get to have fun with that. They do. It seems like that is one of the that's like the unifying characteristic of all marching bands, isn't it? Fun.
0: It is it is fun. Like in stage band, uh, you know, we played standards and we played kind of like light fusion, but, huh. but mostly <laughs> it was um it was we did a terrible version of Night Train, like awful version uh-huh. of Night Train. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty abysmal.
1: I mean, I'm on a night train. Is that, is that Mon Jovi? What is that? <laughs> I don't think that was the version. I was thinking more the night train. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. One of the nice things about marching band is you get that that like uh, reverby. Sound. Nares. I love the re- I love all the drums,
0: all the great drums. I love the Glockenspiel. I like when mm. I we live kind of near a high school, and I love
1: hearing that. It still sounds so great to me. Ding 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 ding. ding. I have a uh, you know uh, uh, my good uh, my good friend Ariella was the Glockenspiel player in the marching band. I'm pretty sure.
0: Brady's bits. My mother played Glockenspiel. <laughs> what? <laughs>
1: Take a jam? <laughs> uh, oh, thunder road again. <laughs> I was thinking about reverb the other day, as you do, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about—I was thinking about how contemporary pop music almost all has this massive stadium reverb on everything. Mm-hmm. Have you notice this?
0: Yeah, I think I think I know what you mean, especially the kind of like, and again, I will at this point just see myself out. I don't know the names <laughs> of lots of bands, but there's a certain kind of smooth, middle-of-the-road, emo-ish kind of mm. thing that mm. is very bombastic, very big. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I think I know what you're talking about, though. There's a, I mean, I don't know. I, maybe, I think I know. Like, it's, it just sounds big, big, big. And, of big, course, big, pushed, big. pushed all the way up, all the levels all the way up.
1: Yeah, it, it, it. I was thinking about it in terms of um, uh, of the the fact that, like, songwriting now, for the most part, like, we, we've talked about this before. Where you know, where like ELO has great songwriting, but also you can't divorce the songwriting from the production, right? right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the thing. Somebody asked me the other day, like, what do you think of Donovan? And I was like, well, you know, those great Donovan singles, like, the production of them is as important as the as the song itself right like right. hurdy-gurdy man is a sound as much as it is a song
0: yeah they got a kind of um s- uh, spooky kind of feeling spooky to
1: spooky and groovy and like you know uh stony droney but but in a way that if you t- if you take any of those great cat stevens singles which are great sounding but then you could also just as we've seen innumerable times you could play them with a hat with a your baseball hat on the ground in front of a sports stadium (laughs) on a four string acoustic guitar and the song still translates Mm -hmm. whereas hurdy-gurdy man something would be something would be lost to cover it because the tone anyway so as i think about contemporary pop music and i listen to the songwriting and i just am like i don't even hear the song really i'm not sure how you would even cover this song because the song is so much less important now than the sound. And all these big, big, big radio hits now are just full of this epic sounding, swelling, chanting, big drums, lots of like, Hey, and stuff, you know, like really. And if I were a young person and this was my contemporary music, I would really be under the impression that my emotions were on a, you know, my emotions were very important. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean <laughs> right like, yeah yeah yeah. like there's there's no there's no sense of like the the way the motown there's not a lot of ambiguity to a lot of it right and, and and it's not personal right it doesn't feel like oh this song is about me and and my you know and my brokenheartedness and like i'm it's just me and the singer i'm listening in this uh, to this radio that's i'm coming in on 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 pirate radio from mexico and you know and now it just feels like uh like every song is so epic, and the and so as a as a kid, you'd be listening to this music, and you're like, "That's my tune." And so, it's a very important song, and I must be a very important person. Yeah, <laughs> it's and I and I and I and I attribute it to the to the use of this like huge reverbs on everything. This like hey, and and you just feel like whoa, it's just echoing off the back of the stadium.
0: I think of it... I think I think I know what you mean, I, but the nearest analogy from when I was younger would probably be disco, where, mm. I mean, you know, take a song like Casey and the Sunshine Band. Like, they had some really good disco, like, party songs, but they were kind of just a groove a lot of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it really was all about the production and, you know, getting the the drums and the all the percussion and all of the bass, you know, way high and thumping. Maybe, you know, to be so it would sound good in a club but i think that's it's a, it's similar in that way where the way it sounds is a huge part of like what the song is
1: right the way the way it sounds is the song but like the disco stuff the biggest like the the biggest that that in the biggest space that that intended to convey was a club right mm-hmm. like you're listening to that stuff and you're like yeah i'm feeling the bass and i'm on the dance floor and i'm in a club and it's saturday night like, that was the biggest, uh, that was as big as the space would be. And so, even still, it could contain, like, the person I like is here, they're dancing with someone else. You know, there was, it was still in the realm of the personal. But, like, these tunes now, like, the space that they are trying to convey is, like, we are marching through the desert waving giant red banners. We are, A lot of you ur- know, urgency. Yeah, we are an army on the move. We are we are crossing the steps and we are coming into Hungary. <laughs> right? Like it is it's with so, Geico ads. <laughs> it's so much huger sounding and there is and there at least to my ears doesn't feel like there's any space in there to be like I'm a person and the person I like is a, is across the room. It's much more like I'm in this army and we're moving together forward to like to do something ambiguous you know like i mean i think the the taylor swift lyrics are still to the effect of like haters gonna hate but but it feels like it feels like haters are gonna hate in a giant giant um right crystal uh cathedral type of setting
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I'm i'm trying no i'm trying to think about this though because you know more about like how this stuff gets made than i do but i have a you know, I'm not even going to say grudging admiration. I've developed a kind of admiration for pop culture products, even if it's not like something that I'm. I really enjoy. Sometimes I'll hear something like, um I think her name is uh, P exclamation point Inc. I'll hear one of the the I hear, I'll hear a pink tune, mm-hmm. and like uh, that, like raise your glass song. It's it's such a great tune. Yeah, and it's but it has that it has that I think that has that feeling you're talking about, where like it's it's like it's such a rallying cry. And I, th- I think it's a rallying cry about a party.
1: Uh huh. A r- but, rallying cry about but, a party. Yeah. But
0: you know, there's a lot of those songs where like it, you know, it really, it's, and, 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 and this sounds so derogatory and I don't, I don't mean it because, you know, to each his own and people have a lot of success with it. But yeah, it does really feel like it, it really, uh, more and more is, is made to, this is the same thing people have been saying since the 30s, probably. Uh, 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 <laughs> he's, not even using, he's not even using a megaphone.
1: <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> what is that? A microphone? Well, in my day, we used to sing into a cup. Nuts to that, Charlie. <laughs> but, I think, but I think there is something to it in the sense that a, a lot of covers that you see of modern pop tunes, the cover really seeks to reinvent the tune. Right? If you see somebody do a cover of a modern pop tune, it's almost always like a they they take a they take a really hyped up big stadium tune and they and they play a sad uh acoustic guitar slow weepy cover of it.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, they kind of arcade fire it.
1: Yeah, they have because they have to because there isn't a way to do a straight cover of it. Right? In order to do a straight cover, you would need 18 people in your band.
0: Uh, that seems a little antiquated. To do, like, even back to what 15, 20 years ago to the unplugged era, where like Nirvana doing Me Puppets covers in the way that they were doing them, mm-hmm. unironically, and like, but also, you know, like really, you know, reinterpreting them um, significantly in a lot yeah. of ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, but, but like the tunes had, the tunes had a chord structure, right? They weren't just like a drum loop and a, and a, um, and just tons and tons of reverb. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a it's an interesting evolution and I find myself driving along listening to pop music and feeling these big feeling this kind of epic swell that you might that I might have once felt listening to the Scorpions worldwide live. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh but but the Scorpions you know uh <laughs> even them at their biggest emotional swell it was it was still contained somewhat, right? It was like there's no one like you, and and you're and you're imagining yourself in within the within that song and thinking like, I think a lot of metal, the way you were meant to imagine yourself in it was as a member of the band, rather than like with oh, Mo-
0: that's really interesting, yeah. You know what
1: I mean? Like uh-huh. with Motown music, you weren't meant to imagine yourself in the band. You were meant to the the music was, was was capturing like who you were y- that you could use the song personally in, in 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 metal you were meant to imagine like here is how i'm overcoming my circumstances i am the guitarist in this band and i'm singing this song and maybe the person the song is about is in the back of the auditorium mm-hmm. and i'm singing it to them but like that's the level of triumph and and i feel like we've now that evolution has continued and it's like the only way you can put yourself into a song now is as the star, as the as the pop star who has triumphed over all.
0: And in the case of somebody like Taylor Swift, um, her songs, uh, which I think are often just extremely catchy and well mm-hmm, done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not the mega fan that some of my friends are, but I really enjoy it. I, every time I hear that Shake It Off song, I think that's a, that's a really, really great... Like, Killer jam. jam. It's Killer a jam. great jam, yeah. <laughs> but, but in her case, like I think you are supposed... To, uh, boy, this is going to get so like first-year philosophy class. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think you really are supposed to put yourself in, in her position. She in Taylor's is, shoes. She's in Taylor's shoes. She's singing a song about her life and this breakup i think more often than not and that's that's supposed to have resonance with you both on the level of like uh, empathizing with taylor swift but also feeling that that same feeling yourself
1: yeah that that maybe one day if you do you know if you play your cards right um that you too will have the you you too will be able to stand up on the big big stage be the star and shake it off shake off the haters
0: but you know, having any kind of a message of empowerment in a song is is going to resonate with somebody, I think. You know what I mean? Whereas in the Scorpions, they got a guy with forks in his eyes, you know? That's a tough with gig. Forks
1: in his eyes. Well, and when you think what a great about great
0: cover. <laughs> Remember Breakout? That was such a great cover. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that solo so much.
1: I was uh, you know, I I saw the Scorpions uh several times mm-hmm. during the Worldwide Live. You, you made tour. eye contact with um That's right.
0: With the uh, we get this wrong every every year or so. You mm-hmm. we, we may well one of the guitar players.
1: Mm-hmm. Go Dubis, ahead, Dubis Rockin. His eyes <laughs> said, uh, "Dubis Rockin." <laughs> Is that his name, Dubis Rockin? <laughs> Dubis uh, Rockenstein. <laughs> That's so stupid. Um, uh, yeah, he uh, he uh, he looked at me right right in the eyes.
0: Yeah, it was probably a Wolfgang or a Klaus or a uh, – it's, uh, it's not a Schenker. It wasn't a Schenker, was it? No, it
1: wasn't the Schenker. I guess it's not it, important it, to the it, story. But. It was Matthias
0: Jabs. Uh, Matthias Jabs,
1: yes. And, um, and he and I had a moment. Boy, I'm sure he had 40 of those moments that <laughs> night, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it really stuck with me. I always, a, I always wanted a guitar with some stripes on it. Oh,
0: yeah. He played like a kind um, of like a like an, uh, Modified Explorer yeah. Or a V, did you have no? was it Explorer?
1: There was it was, Explorer. It, was, uh, it, was uh, it was Schenker, It was the other Schenker that had the it was the young Schenker, the lesser Schenker, Schenker Feel, or Shanker <laughs> pair. I
0: Schenker, Schenker pair. <laughs> um, yeah, I know you got uh, you got uh, you got the original Schenker from you got Michael Schenker. Michael Schenker and, and then Schenker. You got Klein Kleina Klein Schenker.
1: Have you ever seen uh have you ever seen Michael Schenker? The Michael uh, Schenker Group? MSG? Mhm. Uh I am I don't
0: think I can name one of their songs to be honest.
1: Well, he is a f- Phenomenal guitar player. And and um the uh the songs maybe that's a that's a good example of the metal uh corollary to this conversation, which is that the songs are less important than the fluidity. The fluidity of his
0: He's recording in like fingers. late seventies, early to mid eighties.
1: He's still touring. I saw him last year. Wow. I saw him at a barbecue restaurant in Tacoma, Washington, where Every 15 minutes, all of the waitresses suddenly jumped up on the tables and mm. danced uh, to a song in, in uh, short shorts and then got down and started waiting tables again. That doesn't seem hygienic, John. It was, it was really uh, instructive. Um, it, I, I was reminded – of I remind I was reminded that the rest of the world continues puttering along even <laughs> even as as we here in our uh, in our internet tower uh like to think that we are somewhere else you but know, sometimes world.
0: it's useful to know that okay, can yeah. let me get an update from you we haven't okay. done an update with from you in a while yeah. uh so you you're still mostly driving the big new truck right
1: No I have a I have um so I have a Jetta but the Jetta first of all, the Jetta is ridiculous because it is a, it's a black Jetta and it looks like a, it's ridiculous. Um, 1999
0: on called. They want their web developer <laughs> That's car ex- back. Exactly right. I feel like everybody had one. We had one. Everybody had one. I
1: feel like every time I step out of it, uh, that, um, the, the, the theme from friends should play. <laughs> we have a Jetta wagon, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I, Jetta sedan. And, uh, and so, but the tabs expired recently and, uh, in order to get the tabs renewed, I have to get an emissions test. So then, uh, for a while, I was driving a, a, a sort of a borrowed Passat wagon, a little bit, little bit bigger, bigger that, that, wheelbase. That was our aspirational uh, mom and dad car. That's a sweet ride. Passat, Passat was nice, nice car. But now that's gone again. That's been taken away. So today, I am driving the truck. Yes.
0: Okay, so I, I asked because um, when you're riding around, I know it, historically it has not been your habit to just listen to music as background stuff. But like when you're in your repose mm. and you're putting on the, I mean, do you turn on the radio? And when you turn on the radio, what do you listen to? Is, is that is that an, an interesting question? Because I think I think that's an interesting question.
1: Yeah, you know, I I always used to listen to um, sort of oldies and watching the watching what define what met the criteria of oldies <laughs> change uh, that yeah. was really interesting to me you know it used to be like rock and robin rock and robin and then pretty soon it was like wait a minute did I just hear black hole Sun? <laughs> <laughs> I mean not quite that but like the, yeah. first, the first change was like when you started to hear Crosby Stills and Nash and you're like is that an oldie is that what we're calling that now I thought right. that was a classic rock and now for sure it's like Tom Petty
0: it seems exactly. like there's a shift in the last 10 years where it used to be like when we were coming up, you had like the AOR stations that were playing, you know, whatever current and um, classic rock, you know, uh, well, you know, classic rock. But but then at some point, you know, you, of course, you always had the pop stations, what I would then call a top 40 station. And then at some point, we've talked about KOIT here in town. There, there are a lot of stations that are like the best of the best of the 70s, 80s, 90s and the 2000s. And it's, right. it's just a, this mishmash of unobjectionable music a lot of times.
1: Well, yeah, and th- th- that, that's what's so crazy to me is that all that music used to mean so much within the context of its, of its genre.
0: I, well, at the, the thing is, it's like I'd like to say lobsters don't think of themselves primarily as food, mm-hmm. and in this case, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, fans of big chill and post big chill music have a very strong association with like. There's so much specificity to like which Jackson Brown record you like that yeah. sounds like really old timey, but you know which Cat Stevens, which Van Morrison records, like they aren't. Those are not oldies; those are like works of art. You know, that, and you wouldn't think of it as just getting tossed into the sa- same pile based on age. That that still seems. Very strange. And I have to say somewhat artificial. I get why they do it demographically. But it is still strange to somebody who loved that music and sees the distinction between all these different things. I don't know. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not mad about it. But I do think it's interesting that we mainly do it based on
1: age with a slight axis for demographics. Well, we, we always did. But, like, recently I have noticed within the dance music radio uh, slot – it's like a Kraftwerk song. The <laughs> dance, dance music radio slot. Radio slot. <laughs> uh, that there is now, I mean, and I think that this is happening in rock music too and in folk music, right? There, it, it, it's divorced from context increasingly. And I think for a while I was, just as all of us old people are, uh, I was freaked out by divorcing it from context. You could not put an ACDC song next to a talking head song on the radio. It didn't make any sense. They were from different universes. I don't understand it. Right,
0: right, right. Um,
1: And then I realized like to the ear of of a person who didn't come up knowing that those were different universes, they sound great together and at I, the time I, it sounded we've talked about this so
0: much but ACDC and uh Def Leppard and the the Lang stuff or any of that stuff even like looking at Huscour do it all sounds so much rougher at the time uh-huh. and, and now with with time you go like these are pop songs yeah, these they're are just pop below. songs
1: but i was I, I was in a i was in a shop the other day and they were playing what could only be called like dance music mix dance music mix jam and every <laughs> tune had like but they were completely um they were completely agnostic about a uh, like era so so they were playing like le freak and then right into some kind of 90s british uh house music and right into some very contemporary DJ based jams and then back to Nile Rodgers and it it just was a seamless mix the only unifying characteristic was that it had this like disco dance beat right and i realized oh sure if if i were 20 that would that's what i would be listening for and not you know and and would i, I wouldn't necessarily care that Oh, one of yeah. these things was the pioneer of that, and one of them was a, was a later iteration, and one of them is a modern iteration. It's all just a genre or a sound. How
0: many, how many people could identify whether a given Bing Crosby song was from the 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s? To, to a lot of people's ears, I bet it sounds virtually identical. Maybe fifties maybe a little bit different, but you know, hearing hearing like an old timey song that sounds low fidelity in that case. But but here, I mean, that's I bet you that's partly a consequence of what I'm just going to guess is satellite radio Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. demographics. I don't know how this works, but I'm guessing that there's like give me the kind of music people fold clothes to at the Gap or
1: Hot Topic Uh or whatever. uh Uh huh. Uh huh. Give me you know I want some chill jams and it's like all right, well let's put on some chill jams all right well what's a chill jam uh you know tubular bells sure <laughs> that's a chill that's a pretty chill jam that's some chill bells you know music for airports um the the you know talk talks the color of spring that's a chill there's some chill jams on that and pretty soon you're into like well what about this latest uh this latest track from like ibiza or rather i'm sorry ibiza ibiza uh, and pretty soon you got a chill jam mix. Yeah, and maybe it's
0: also like a Pandora thing. I think a lot of places uh, do like a Pandora thing where you can make a station. I have discovered it's a pretty dark art. Uh, I don't use Pandora as much as I used to, but I discovered it's a real dark art to pick mm. the right band to base your station on. I've got I've got a long oh, winter I see station. What you're but what, for what, example, what,
1: what what plays on the long winter station? Oh, you know a lot of don't yell at me music. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, uh, what's the, what's the one thing that came up on our long winter station? We were like, what? I don't know. I have
0: to go look it up. But I think it was a lot of like men with gentlemen with beards yeah. kind of music, you know, you know, the kind, yeah, the hog butcher music. But, um, but, you know, for example, like, uh, I really like old, old country music. And, uh, and, and, but the thing is, if you go in, this is really boring. If you go in and make a station based on Hank Williams, you end up with all kinds of nonsense. I don't know mm-hmm. why, but if you go in and base it on Hank Williams, uh, oh, you get lots of songs about regret and wife beating. Right? But no, you get a lot, you and include, you get a lot of contemporary stuff. But if you go in and make one based on Hank Snow, the I've been everywhere man guy, yeah. like you get all of this amazing stuff that's much more, contemporary to his time uh-huh. like you might get some old like conway twitty and stuff like that but it's mostly pre-cosmop what do they call it Politan or whatever it's yeah. kind of pre mid-60s uh music and it's, it seems much more cohesive what's funny is i don't know if you can still do this but it used to be i think it was on pandora it was on one of those services you could go in and it you could flip a card in your ios app and it would show you why it picked that for you
1: Oh. Have you ever seen this? No, I don't use any of these programs.
0: Well, I, I had like, of course, I had a guy at my voices station and it goes, you know, uh, we thought you like this song because it includes a uh, major chorus versus a fast beat, distorted guitars and lyrics about, you know, thus and such, beer or whatever. Really? But, but they've got a reason. They can actually, when they choose to pull back the curtain, they can actually show you how they calculated that this would be something you'd like.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you ever really studied the cover of the Scorpions' record, Animal Magnetism?
0: Is that the chewing gum in the limousine?
1: No, that's that's the that's the one. That, oh, it's the one with the dog, right? The dog. Yeah, it ha- it really has to have inspired the Spinal Tap. Uh, oh, smell the glove. Smell the glove. It really, it's like so. Oh, it's. I haven't so... thought
0: about it in years, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I haven't looked at this in years, right? Like, um, yeah. Yeah,
1: fast forward uh-huh. fast forward 40 <laughs> years. <laughs> this is pretty bad. Uh, doesn't really stand up.
0: What's the one with the chewing gum? Just for my own purposes, what's the one with the chewing gum in the limo? That's that's the Scorpion's one, right?
1: Uh, and that, You know, it might be the... So, so oh, Blackout I, Black I is it right forks here. in the eyes.
0: Yeah. Um, love Drive.
1: Oh, love Drive I, is a love. guy...
0: It, go search for Love Drive. It's a guy in a three-piece suit um, and a woman with her dress pulled aside and it's like he's gotten his hand into chewing gum by touching her boob.
1: Oh, the chewing gum on the boob. Look at that. We should you spend know. some time
0: on Animal Magnetism, though. There's something very special going on here.
1: A lot of, lot of, uh, lot of good jams. You know, the Scorps, uh, like a lot of the, the best metal bands, right? they, uh, they, they, they made the live record, and that's a, I, I have, to, have to say to all of our listeners that have not listened to the Scorpions... The Worldwide Live album is a great introduction. Just, just as Judas Priest's uh, "Unleashed in the East" live at Budokan uh, is the great introduction to Judas Priest, because these are live records in name only. They are. I was just gonna say.
0: I wasn't gonna say it. was Like Kiss Alive, those are those are three like tentpole. I, mean. I know how you love Kiss, yeah. but uh, three tentpole albums that weren't really live albums. No, not live at all
1: but they set, but you, there's crowd noise and it makes you feel really epic it makes you feel like you're on stage with the band and the the and the the person that you love the most is there in the in the room and you are you're playing your metal solo and they are looking at you <laughs> and saying i never should have let them <laughs> I go.
0: would try to change the things that killed our love <sungsärke> du- 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 <sizes> your pride has built a wall <hair> so strong that i can't get through is this really the end? Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> okay, so Scorpion's <laughs> Animal Magnetism. I think this is probably a Hypnosis, hypnosis cover.
1: Oh,
0: okay. Uh, hyp-no- is that German It's a German design sure. group. They, they did the Peter Gabriel records. like All the wackadoodle photography-based, I think they did maybe Wish You Were Here, maybe. But anyway, a lot of the, the wackadoodle photography-based weird album covers of the 70s were done by this this couple guys in Germany, I think.
1: Hypgenosis. I'm
0: going to guess. But anyway, so we got what we have here. Half of the – I mean, do we describe this? There's a beach. Uh, there's a. We see the, the primary thing that we see is the backside of a man in – looks like tough skins walking on a beach drinking would, a beer with his hand in his pocket.
1: I would call those – are those Lee jeans? Mm, I don't recognize the mark. I, I would say they were – they're. Yeah, some I, I don't think they're tough skins. Maybe they are um but they're but what's interesting is they're brown colored jeans, and that's that seems very ahead. Yeah, seems right? ahead. L-
0: that seems a little French to me.
1: They I, can do see see brown brown French.
0: I can see a brown jean. I can see a brown
1: jean. Yeah, uh, certainly German or French. They're they're maybe they're like it's there's almost a run Lola run feel to those jeans. <laughs> he's drinking a beer. Yeah. He's got a hand he's got one his left hand in his back pocket.
0: It appears to be sunset even though he has the brightness of 11:20 a.m. shining on his ass.
1: Right. Yeah, he does. There is some unmute there's some strange like where did that where is that light coming from? light.
0: Well, well I will probably feature the, feature this as the cover art for this
1: episode. <laughs> there's a Doberman pincher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then staring at his ass. The Doberman pincher is staring at his ass uh, like inexplicably. But then uh kneeling in a kind of, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't describe it necessarily as a submissive, submissive posture. It's because pretty submissive she, posture. It's a submissive posture, but she has a, she has a, a, a look that could be described as defiant, right? Or there's, there's a little bit of, there's a little defiance in her face. But there's is there a germ word for shameful curiosity. <laughs> there's a blonde woman in high waisted jeans with a, with a like a handkerchief blouse mm-hmm. tucked in, and she is kneeling. Looking up at him and it, with the with the look that I would describe as not admiring, but certainly waiting for the next waiting for a signal. Let's let's call mm-hmm. it waiting for a signal. Do you, do you think it would you describe <laughs> yeah. it a different way?
0: Yeah, I mean, if it was just her, it'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that the there
1: it's her and Adobe staring at this guy. Well, she's looking up at him, and the Doberman mm-hmm. is just looking straight at his pants. That's animal magnetism. And so I guess my question is – and this was, this was the question I had when I was, was, was 11 or, or 12. Is his fly undone or not? Oh, right. She's not looking at his fly area, but maybe the dog is. Okay. Maybe the dog is looking at his, at his unzipped fly. She seems to she's like studiously avoiding it
0: right she's making eye contact uh, up here right
1: right 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 she's looking she's looking at the she's looking at his meat beard yeah and not at his underwear area, but the dog definitely is looking at his underwear area
0: I've reached a point in life where so much uh i you know call it, it's kind of like the dad engineering stage of life where you mostly think about how something got made how much it cost and and how it got made <laughs> at all I, I look at this and i'm like this is what this was uh probably mercury it was it was a major label that they were on yeah. and you know there were meetings where somebody set aside 3 to 5 other designs and said this is the one we should go with
1: i'm yeah yeah well i'm pretty sure that i'm pretty sure it's a, 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 that this is the uh inspiration for smell the glove and also I bet you there was somebody in the room that was like, come on, no, this is terrible. But, you know, it was the 70s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. There were a lot worse. Like, how do you feel about the album cover for, um, what was that Eric Clapton super group that had the...
0: Oh, yeah, with the girl. With the uh, girl. Traffic.
1: Traf- well, no, it, it, wasn't, wasn't, it traffic.
0: wasn't traffic. It was, um, there was Derek and the Dominoes? Was mm-hmm. it Layla? But the one with the, with the prepubescent girl on the cover, right?
1: Yeah. Is that the one you mean? Yeah, yeah, uh, but it was um, not traffic, huh? Was it traffic? I want to say it's traffic. I'll find out. Is this if it's important? <laughs> We're just <laughs> who? Who was it the other day that said I love listening to John and Merlin look at the internet? <laughs> Oops. One of the great podcasts of all time. <laughs>
0: this is what happened. John and
1: Merlin looking at the internet. I'm not, you know what? I just stopped looking at the internet. I'm not even going to look at it anymore. I don't even care. All
0: right, it's going to be the last thing I if look I, up. If
1: I can't tell you the name of Eric Clapton's dumb supergroup that had the girl on the cover, mm-hmm. then I don't deserve to talk about stuff. Mm. I'm just going to sit here and talk about how these gummy sold shoes that I'm wearing seem to pick up hair everywhere i get that with mine too and i wonder where is all this hair like is this hair just on the ground everywhere i go
0: (laughs) has it always been there why am i only noticing this now is
1: the earth carpeted with hair in a way that i i uh, you you have to wear gummy sold shoes to to fully comprehend i guess it is (sighs) we have an area
0: we have an area rug in one room that we all like pretty well but it sheds pubes it's uh, it, it, the way the fibers work. So, so like pretty much all the time in our house, there's there's stuff floating around that kind of looks like a hair. Uh, yeah, right.
1: But it's not quite a hair. It's more a fiber.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a fiber, fibers, hair-like thing.
1: Well, so what? This is the thing. What's going to happen? That's going to be the hair that convicts you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by our very good pals at Squarespace. You know Squarespace. They are the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. They offer a drop-dead, simple, drag-and-drop interface that makes it easy to post your stuff. They have beautiful, super-clean design templates that you can tweak to suit whatever your needs are. Maybe best of all, they do all the heavy lifting to make your site fast, reliable, and responsive. This is all very true. If for some reason you're ever having trouble, you're feeling stuck or disoriented, you can't find your keys, don't worry. Squarespace has 24 by 7 support through live chat and email. Now, here's the part that is so crazy. Squarespace plans start at just $8 American per month That includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, which you should definitely do. Their account comes stock with easy commerce integration, sweet new cover pages functionality, magnifique. You can start your free trial with no credit card required. Begin building your website today. Just go to squarespace.com. Here's a tip for you, a thought technology. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace and you're ready to pull the trigger, please make sure to use the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN. That will get you 10% off your first purchase. It also shows your support for Roderick on the Line. So thank you very much to Squarespace for their continued support of Roderick on the Line. Squarespace, build it
1: beautiful. Right, yeah. they're gonna they're gonna pull that out there like they're, this has a this has a very a distinctive <laughs> signature, and it was found With all the- no
0: deference, Mister <laughs> Man. We had no problem whatsoever gathering uh, what I would just have to describe as as a multitude of individual <laughs> curly black hairs. <laughs> I'm just gonna bring in a couple pounds <laughs> and let you peruse that.
1: Your uh, southern lawyer <laughs> is so much better than uh, Bob Odenkirk's Southern Lawyer.
0: Oh, come on. That's who I'm stealing it from.
1: But yours is better. You so? steal it and improve it. You really do. I think because
0: I'm also I'm, – I'm bringing in a lot of Foghorn Leghorn.
1: But just – I mean just enough like there's, there's, a, there's some Matlock in it. <laughs> you just – you take it to the place where, where Bob is try- – you know, Bob's, Bob's Southern Lawyer is, uh, is great in part because it's so bad. It's like Peter Dinklage's British accent.
0: <laughs> That's interesting you should say that. We talked about him a little bit once before, I think, but I, I agree. Like part of what some of the stuff of his that makes me laugh the most is when he dances poorly, sings poorly, um, does a bad accent, like a horrible German accent, or yeah. when he just he just yells inappropriately in a way that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and it's always funny to me.
1: Yeah, there's ne you never have a you you never know fully like How much Bob Odenkirk is conscious of the fact that he is, he is not quite achieving what he imagines he's achieving.
0: Uh, You know, that's one reason I love people who come out of, you know, improv and sketch comedy is like there's so much of, like, you got where you are because you threw so much shit at a wall. Yeah. And, like, you figured out what was funny, sure, but then you also learned to just ride it out if it wasn't funny and find a way to make it funny.
1: Yeah, right. And that's exactly what happens on well, on their sketch show. You know, they're, re- they're doing a new Bob and David.
0: I know. I saw some photos of the very elderly cast. <laughs> no, I, I, I hope it'll be good. You know, he's been so busy. He did Tim and Eric. He does the does the, the Saul show. And weren't you watching that? Were you watching The Better Call Saul?
1: uh yeah i still I still am watching it. Um, you know, the pace is so different.
0: That's what I hear yeah
1: and uh it's very it's enjoyable, but like the 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 challenge for me was always when Bob was on the screen, my history with him as a as a fan always took me out of breaking bad a little bit. Like trying to really have Bob Odenkirk be a serious character and not because. Oh, right. Instead of just
0: going, hey, look, it's Bob Odenkirk.
1: Yeah. And, and, and and, like, there were times when he played, when he played the role of someone who was genuinely scared that I felt uh, that I was, I was absorbed into, into the scene. Mm -hmm. But there were also, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the campiness of his character was just right in line with the campiness of Bob Odenkirk enough that I was, I was, I knew I was watching a guy I already knew.
0: yeah, he does such a good greasy character
1: well now so now I'd better call Saul like with him as the center i, I can't I can't decide where I am. I can't decide like i can't I'm not far enough into it, I guess, to know where like where I stand
0: which, which brings us to our next update segment, hmm. which is you must be very busy right now uh, I'm Or at least to- let me say are you occupied? It seems like you must be very occupied.
1: I'm going to a lot of task forces uh, because tasks, that is – Tasks forces? Tasks force. I'm going to a lot of tasks force. force. I. Um, yeah, I am, I am busy and, you know, I, but, the, but there is still a very there's, – there's still – a com, the, the, the major component of what I'm doing is still formulating, thinking about stuff. You know, like mm-hmm. the 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 running around and and uh, and attending pie eating contests and stuff like that <laughs> uh, hasn't that hasn't kicked into high gear yet because I still am trying to tackle the big issues in a way and 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 and, uh, and like put forward a, a a real program and that is really satisfying challenging work. But it's not. Um, but, but but you know, it's also like kind of fraught. I feel like I'm. I feel like I have a big paper due.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And uh, and uh, and like, strangely, there's no clear deadline. In some ways, it was due three weeks ago, and in some ways, you know, you can hand. It's sort of one of those handed in when you want. Uh, but and, and you're not sure how you're going to be graded. You've got the world's most passive aggressive teacher. Well, you tell me when it's done. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. You tell me
0: what what grade do you think well, you can I deserve. know it's going to be good. It better be good.
1: <laughs> so so I'm 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 busy uh but I'm also, you know, I'm also like crunching a lot of data. Um because I really do believe that I don't want to that I'm not somebody that's just running for office as a, as a piece of theater. And the more I see other people running for office, I realize like a lot of it is a lot of them are even the ones that are professionals. You know, it's, it's, it's It's, all theater. It
0: seems um, it's cynical to point this out, but it seems like there could potentially be an advantage to doing uh, maybe not the opposite of what you're doing, but something very different, which is going in with your placard already, uh, you know, filled out in permanent marker and on the wooden stick and you're carrying it around. You know what I mean? It seems like there could be a bit benefit to you of having a position, however well or not reasoned, from the very beginning. You come out of the shoot with this like specifics that may have no relationship to anything that's actually going on. So I would applaud you for for staying open to figure out what it is you're gonna say.
1: I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it is it's a good thing, but it but it goes it goes against expectations. Everybody in the Everybody that, is, that has been doing this for a long time, everyone that's kind of – because the only people that know that there's even a Seattle City Council election coming, there's only 500 people in all of Seattle that even know it's happening, hmm. right? Because who follows who follows local elections six to nine months out? Like, cranks. No, cranks. Yeah, you didn't yeah. say that. I did. <laughs> and so, so once the initial announcement kind of went around and everybody was like, wow, that's cool – people immediately want desperately to forget about it for several months and and their feeling about it is like, well, I'll look at that again when it's closer to the election. Mm-hmm. So the only people that are really invested in it at, are this, pe- at this stage, at this stage are people that are, that consider it either their profession or their, uh, or their, you know, avocation. And so I'm in a lot of conversations with people who talk to a lot of candidates and they all have this expectation of like, well, what's your one issue? What's the thing that got you mad that made you want to run for office? Hmm. And I keep saying, I think, f- <laughs> the, I think that the basic premise that the only people that run for office are people that got mad about one issue yeah, is a what a, fla- what a horrible framing device. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. I, that's I, awful. I, feel like, I feel like that's a flawed premise. Yeah. And then they look at me with a kind of look that is like either, uh, you can hear the gears turning. And they're like, okay, so you're the you're the intellectual, and I'm like, well, um, I'm just somebody who believes in democracy, and I feel like if your city council is always populated by people they got mad at the dog catcher, and so they then they ran for dog catcher, <laughs> and then they were the angry dog catcher uh, who was mad at city hall about about the dog catching and then they get elected to city hall. Then you have, then you have a city council that's populated by, by people that are mad and they don't have a very broad sense of how things work, but they, they were able to, they were able to yell about the one thing that they're mad about and get several thousand people to say like, yeah, that is a P- people problem
0: who agreed that that was a thing to
1: be mad about. And then all of a sudden, you know, that's, that's who we send to public office, right? The people that are like, I don't believe that the, that the schools should be teaching sex education. And that's why I'm running for local representative.
0: Well, and it makes me think, uh, not to make this about comic books, but it makes me think a little bit like, you know, we've already got a Batman. There's already one guy that had a bad experience with crime and decided to become a crime fighter. I would not want every person serving in the police department to think that they're Batman. Do you know what I mean? Like, there should be something beyond, and, like, revenge, which is what you're describing. What you're describing in some ways is having a chip on your shoulder. It isn't just that, like, oh, my kid didn't get healthcare coverage or something. You're talking about something where, like, basically, I think what you're describing is, is someone who has decided to turn
1: a personal grudge into a career. Well, and then at some point along the way, a person sidles up to them and they say, hey, you know this thing about dog catchers that you're so mad about? Here's how dog catchers actually get elected and it's not anything like you're saying. Right. And then that person has a choice, either recant and learn about things or cynically smile and say, that's cool. Yelling about dog catchers is what got me elected. And so now that I know better, I'm still going to yell about dog catchers because that still resonates with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happens more often than not. It's why you get these, it's why you get politicians who are like, all right, well, just between us, we know how things work, but I'm going to walk out there on the big stage and start talking about, uh, talking in these terms that I know animates an audience. And that's infuriating. And there at, has to
0: be like a, a certain amount of misdirection—not maybe not lying, but misdirection—to bring it around to that point that you know it tests well, for example.
1: Well, and 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 at a certain point, everybody wants a solution. Everybody wants to hear solutions, and nobody wants to hear. Well, solutions are complicated, and every time you apply, every time you pass a new law that that you hope solves this problem, it creates four new potential problems. Right? It's just like you can't. If you, if you look at the history, if you look at our history and you think like, well, let's talk about some laws that solve some problems. I mean, you can see quite a few that have, but you can also see tons and tons of laws that like prohibition solved a problem, created 50 new problems. Right. And there are lesser examples, but lesser only because they are less ridiculous, but they created problem upon problem so i'm i'm learning that too i'm going to meetings where people are pounding on desks and saying um we have a housing crisis and we do have a housing crisis and then they say and here's the solution and i go wow <laughs> well that was easy uh who <laughs> right. closed file on that one <laughs> um that's really interesting because the housing crisis is is a you know is a multi tendriled animal and that doesn't make oh and that, oh here's the other thing then there's a there's a separate part of the political class that understands that those problems are multi tendriled animals and they are the, like the wry incrementalists who say, well, there are no, if there are no easy solutions. And so we just have to like double down on unimaginative, small scale, incremental, little, um, Little process-based revisions to current hmm. policy. So kind and of like
0: so, a professional politician's approach,
1: exactly. And so you you get either demagogues or you get uh you get people that are like fully vested in the process and don't have they they don't believe that imagination can work. And somewhere between those two places, we we're we're in this strange world where. No progress really happens, but we have a lot of people in public office that are talking about um, we need to support Israel because uh, that's what Jesus wants. Or why well, you know, like mm-hmm. there are there are a thousand a thousand examples even on the liberal side, um, and so I, you know, I like I feel like stepping into that arena and being unwilling to speak exclusively in bullet points, but also being unwilling to get chastised over and over for having too for having too adventurous a idea kit (laughs) you know like uh, i have started to seriously talk about gondolas here to people who know about them that's awesome and there are a lot of transit people who are really really smart and a lot of them are like huh gondolas it's a really great idea we have done some studies on them But the problem is that you could never get the voters to go along with a a big dream project like that. And my reply to that is like, imagine the people sitting in the room the first time someone unveiled a drawing of the space needle that they intended to build and said, here's here's a tower we want to build. And people look at it and go, what? (laughs) What is it? It's a tower. Well, what good is it? it? It's good for going up in. It looks really expensive. Oh, it will be. Why would we build this? Because it's cool. Uh, I mean, can you picture the scene? I, I'm,
0: I'm thinking about it, exactly what you're describing, which is that it, it's like we can't even have this conversation because that's not a building. Yeah, right. But like sort of. I mean, we were saying like what you're proposing. I mean, it's like giving me a plate of mashed potatoes and calling it a, a, a college.
1: <laughs> and yet they built the space needle, right? And and when I think about, you know, you think about the interstate highway system in the United States. The original name of the interstate highway system was something like the Interstate Roads and Defense Escape Route <laughs> Highway System. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, like a big part of of the justification for building the interstates was that it would enable us to move troops around faster in case America was invaded by the Russians. And it's the same al- reason they made the internet, really. And and also, if we had an uh, if there was a little bit of a warning from the civil defense horns. Uh, we could get in our 57 Chevys and drive out of the city and escape the nuclear a uh, nuclear attack that was coming, right? Like that was part of how we sold what ended up being a $400 billion nationwide project. Like, oh, you'll be able to get out of the town to escape the bombs and also we can move troops around and also it'll be great on Saturday afternoons you can get out to the country.
0: Mm-hmm. N- nothing, and, nothing that like this would become the backbone of how we built the economy with trucking or, or how it opened up, you know, like he, first like practical travel around the United
1: States by middle-class people. I mean, think about the, think about, is there anyone in America today listening to this program that won't spend some part of today on an interstate highway? Mm-hmm. And, um, and <laughs> that's not and, what it's for. <laughs> and to build those things, we tore down tens of thousands of houses, like destroyed entire neighborhoods. And so when people are like, well, you know, there's no way we can muster the collective will to, to start moving away from a fossil fuel-based economy, for instance. It's like, are you kidding me? It's happening. It's happening anyway. And so the question is, well, how do you get ahead of it? You know, How do you do it correctly instead of doing it uh, accidentally or, or by happenstance? And in Seattle, it's the same thing. I mean, yeah, gondolas would gondolas sound like a ridiculous idea, right? They sound like a joke idea that a, that a that the weird rock candidate came up with. <laughs> except That's that
0: the weird rock, right?
1: yeah. except, <laughs> except that Seattle is is a city built on seven hills, right? We're basically an alpine resort in summer. And we keep talking about bike lanes. We keep talking about all the, these methods of moving people around. And in, in that conversation, there's never any acknowledgement that, that everywhere you would want to go involves going up a huge fucking hill. And so it's like, we need to get more bikes. Well, okay, but the only people that can ride bikes in Seattle are like super athletes, and if you if you go down to Portland, Oregon, which is largely a flat city, you see people riding their bikes and they are in their, you know, they're like dressed nicely. They are pedaling slowly. They have a little basket with some bread and maybe a dog in it. <laughs> and they're pedaling on their nice flat wide streets to go from one flat place to the next. And in Seattle, if you are downtown and want to go to Capitol Hill, which as the crow flies is, a quarter of a mile, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You basically have to be dressed uh, like you're riding the Tour de France, and you know you're not gonna you're not gonna get on your bike with your suit on, ride up to Capitol Hill for lunch, and ride back down. You would be uh, you would be drenched in sweat, and you haven't even mentioned the weather, let alone the rain. So I do believe that we should have bikes everywhere, but if there were a network of gondolas. You could put your bike in the gondola, take the gondola up to the top of the hill, ride your bike around up there, ride your bike downhill, which is fun. Everybody likes that. And then at night when it's time to go home, put your bike on the gondola back up to the top of the hill. It's not crazy. It's, it just sounds, it, it, in a way, it sounds too fun to be real. <laughs> right. It sounds too fun it, it to- sounds, It
0: sounds whimsical.
1: It sounds whimsical until you picture like, Oh, let's imagine this city in 50 years. And we've got like trams running up and a funicular up this street. And it doesn't have to be a fancy funicular. It's a funicular that you hop on, you throw your bike on it. It takes you up the steep hill. Um, it's just infrastructure. It, it's infrastructure that, that actually is aware that it, that reflects the fact that this is a really hilly town. Mm -hmm. but yeah but so i'm talking to professional people and i'm saying listen this sounds like a this sounds like a joke (laughs) idea from the weird rock candidate but listen i'm serious (laughs) about this i think it's a good idea and and you can just you watch them try i mean you know and it's their job in a way but on the other hand like they struggle to find reasons why it's a why they never are trying to find reasons why it's a bad idea they're always trying to find reasons why it can never happen
0: well you must you must to some people let's be honest you the uh, weird rock candidate you must sound like a flat earth person or like a historical revisionist or something in the sense that to some people you know you're going to have like the i can't even conversations where they're just going to be like how do i i mean are you are you actually Saying this seriously, I mean, should we all wear Dracula fans, uh, yeah, right. fangs? Should we, should we all like you know get face tattoos? Anything else? Like right. uh, that's it's so outside the pale of what people think of as a conventional approach to such a, a,
1: a boring and giant problem. Right, right. Well, and and and, and what I say to them is, one hundred years ago, in nineteen fifteen, there were still horse carts, horse drawn carts, all over the streets of New York City and Seattle. And San Francisco. And I'm sure at that time there were all kinds of people in power and just the conventional wisdom was, well, there will always be horses in the city. There have always been horses in the city. Mm -hmm. We We need to scale up around horses. Yeah, sure. The motor car is coming. But how, I mean, how do you take the horse away from the small independent farmer?
0: Well, and that's going to be, that's going to be uh, unnecessarily disruptive to our existing infrastructure because what we have now works. The horses are fine. We replace them, right? Isn't right. that part of it? It's like you get so stuck in this idea of what kind of problem we're trying to solve that you don't even open up the door to going look – at, look at Chicago and how Chicago revolutionized around the idea of not having literal tons of horse shit they had to throw in a river every day. <laughs> it changed the
1: entire sanitation system. Yeah. Well, and imagine the last person in Seattle – to build a barn downtown to feed and care for horses during the day. right? There was a last person who was like, I'm investing in horse care. uh, That's when candidates candidates had to listen to Big Barn. (laughs) right? Right? (laughs) Big stables. Like, listen, stables are a part of our economy. A horse is how a, you know, how is a poor man going to make it into town? He's gonna ride a horse, and that's always gonna be true. There my, was a, my family's made money from owning this particular wooden structure for sixty-five years. Right. Well, and so ten years later, nineteen twenty-five. I mean, not a lot of horses on the streets anymore. It is. It has completely switched. Right. To
0: it changed, it uh, utterly changed. I mean, yeah, it's a different kind of problem, but like, I don't know, I'm so interested, not to be all fucking Malcolm Gladwell, but like talk about improving quality of life and conditions. I mean, just the stories you hear about what it was like to live in Chicago, New York, London. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was literally horseshit everywhere.
1: Well, and so our contemporary equivalent to that is people driving their own cars. Right. Right, people are bad at driving. You and I. <laughs> Here's a you, plank in your platform. <laughs> you and I have been talking about this since uh-huh. we began this podcast. Uh, driving is one of these, these uh, strange things that seems simple enough that everybody believes that they are really good at it.
0: If they haven't died yet, they must be great at it.
1: And yet it is very difficult to do well, mm-hmm. and, and almost no one does it well. So we've been living in an era for a long time where everybody drives their own vehicle and it results in tens of thousands of deaths, incredible waste and inefficiency, total gridlock, and it is going away. It's going away in our lifetimes. And when driving your own car around goes away, it's going to change everything. It's going to change the conversation about about every aspect of the city. And what's cool about it is that it doesn't mean that cars are going away, just human piloted cars are going away. And without human pilots, cars, I mean, can be, cars can be constructed without all this weight Right. of safety devices because they're all going to be controlled by GPS they'll never ever touch one another again they can be small and light and quick and battery powered and quiet and they can move smoothly around the city and all of a sudden you realize oh gridlock isn't because there are too many people
0: you ever seen the graphics for what it would look like if all if it was all um self-driving cars at an intersection you ever seen like what how how insane in a good way it could be
1: where they just go zooming past well, you don't each need, other and, you
0: don't need signs right you just you just need a little bit of uh, the kind of basic probably uh chunking that your phone could do at this point uh-huh. to just direct people into the direct the cars into the right place
1: yeah. and so so you could quadruple the capacity of the roads and everybody moves like 10 times faster like the 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 roads aren't the problem. The problem is the peep the pilots, right? right? And and that's coming really soon. Like and and if we're not, you know, nobody else running for the Seattle City Council has even heard of the internet, right? Let alone <laughs> self driving cars, right? There's still how
0: how many orders of magnitude exaggerated is that? It's not. You're saying it's not a focus.
1: It's not a it's not a focus. There is still, you know, at the at the at the local level of government. There's a, still a lot of suspicion about technology, right Technology is still regarded as primarily a surveillance tool mm. uh, uh, like cities are using it to uh to collect data, and nobody wants you know privacy is is an issue at the city level in a big way um and you know then this whole question of like should the cops wear body cams. Well, wait a minute. Does that mean when a cop comes into my house and talks to me in the middle of the night about my crying child, that that video is going to get uploaded to the internet tomorrow? You know, there there's a lot of confusion about that angle. Yeah, but there's not a lot of understanding that the internet right now, like we've been looking at the internet since its inception, as a kind of like, whoa, won't it be great one day when this is like better than cable TV? And very few people even still are looking at the internet in terms of no, 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 the internet is going to be, it's about to explode in terms of usefulness as we use it to connect everything to everything. And when that happens, the usefulness of everything will go up because we'll be, because we will be talking about integrated systems. Rather than these siloed, inefficient, uh, like work duplicating, um, garbage piles, and you know, when I when I picture Matt Howey on his bike looking at his Apple Watch, trying to get his coffee maker to work, (laughs) and he's like, I downloaded four coffee maker apps to my new iPhone, and it's not syncing up with my you know with my electric razor. But he's like he's at the bleeding edge, of of a thing that is going to happen at a municipal scale, right? Right. Because we're also right on the, on the cusp of, I mean, it's happening, right? Solar energy finally is penciling out.
0: Oh man, the graphs on this stuff are nuts, isn't it insane? Yeah, I saw you probably saw the same graph I did about um, amount that can be generated versus cost per unit generated. Yeah. And in the last, I guess, ten or fifteen years, it's Completely, everything I thought. I mean, to me, solar energy. Number one, my, growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Jimmy about, Carter. Well, <laughs> number one, solar energy is probably one of the greatest no-brainers we could ever have. But very important, number two, it is prohibitively expensive to do, yeah. even just to like heat your water. Right. When I was in college, you could you could get a water heater, but it was very costly. And now today, uh, I'll try and find that graph. You've, you've probably seen it though. I mean, it's it's completely bananas what you can do now for for less than twenty thousand dollars.
1: Well, and, and, you know, so we're, so we're across the threshold, mm-hmm. uh, where solar energy is, is as cheap as, as other forms, or or we're well, right there. Com-
0: com- I mean, comparable. I mean, given it's no longer it's no longer here. Gosh, I have a million things to say. I don't want to interrupt you, but there's so much about like what you trade off to get there, and how much you're willing to to get away from your dumb idea of in order to do the thing I need to do, we replace a horse with a car, and we replace uh. a car with a rocket. Stop thinking about it that way. Start thinking about it in terms of what we're actually trying to accomplish. Stop thinking of the internet as Facebook, and start thinking about it as electricity. And yes. suddenly everything starts to change. And and I mean, I'll well, shut up after this, but like I I really think there's there's a one of our biggest problems and something I imagine you're facing is everybody likes to either think that somebody's being practical or ideological that they mm-hmm. either have an axe to grind or they're, or they're just honestly trying to do the right thing. And you can tell so much by, in that case, somebody going like, well, that's great ideologically. We'll just replace everything with solar and then we'll just charge ten times as much. That'll be great. And it's like, no, stop thinking <laughs> at these extreme ends of the spectrum and, yeah. and look at how the future quote-unquote actually works, which is, it never turns out the way anybody expected because we can only see it through the lens looking backwards. Right. Open your mind up to what could happen in two to five years rather than obsessing what didn't happen in the last 60 years.
1: Well, and I keep saying that to people like the the what we never do what we always do is evolve our cities in this game of whack-a-mole right a guy builds a thing and we're like well that's a shitty thing we've got to stop the next guy from doing that Mm -hmm. and so we pass a law about this guy who built a thing uh and by the time the law gets passed that was eight years ago and uh, no one is ever going to build that thing again they're building something new that's shitty uh, in a different way and and what I keep saying to people is it 's not that hard to go twenty years in the future, imagine what we want the city to look like, and then reverse engineer it right we 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 do have this ability, and it doesn 't have to be we don 't have to build everything out of Legos uh just scra- you know just rummaging in the box looking for one more green tile. We can look ahead and say we are like." the city is going to be we we are redesigning the grid right what is the grid i mean we're we're shipping seattle has really cheap electricity because we ship in this electricity from the from our dams up in the mountains this the what what 20 years ago we thought of as the salmon killing dams up there they've given us cheap power for years but another technology that's coming online is the the molten salt battery technology which would enable us at a municipal scale to put giant batteries that can soak up all that power, soak up all the solar power that we're generating on the roofs of every home in the city, store it efficiently, Hmm. and then redistribute that power at night when the sun has gone down and everybody wants to turn their jacuzzi tubs on. Wasn't the storage
0: what used to be a very important part of the high cost?
1: Storage is the problem. Right, I mean, because if you are if you're if you're generating power in the middle of the day when the sun sun is up, that's not necessarily when you want the power. Maybe even when it's really hot, you want air conditioning on, but you know that's the middle of the day when you're probably not even at home, and your and your your solar power is your solar sensors are generating all this power, but if you can't store it, it just it's just it's you have to burn it off, right? It's just garbage. W- wasted power. sunshine, but. With these giant batteries of this superheated sodium um, that that cities can build, you know they can they can build them at a at a giant scale and create a kind of like small grid where all day long we're soaking up the sun, we're sending that power to our local our local sink, and then at night it redistributes and the and the internet and those interconnected technologies are what are going to enable us to like understand how much we contributed to the pile, how much we're taking back. You know, it's it is um it's an incredibly exciting time. But when you talk when you when when you're for instance, if you were running for city council of your city and you talk to people about it, you're not allowed to be excited about that stuff because it still sounds so pie in the sky. Right. You're the crazy rock candidate who's talking about <laughs> molten salt batteries well what what about a space station that has waterfalls <laughs> and it's like molten salt batteries are they we like there will be so the Faroe Islands have already started developing like uh, um uh, like municipal scale battery uh, complexes, but there will be an American city that decides yes we are the pilot program for this this is where we're this is where we're going let's build let's start building these Mm, things talk about new jobs right and that should be seattle Mm -hmm. but we can't talk about it unless enough people believe that the future is a real thing that is happening you know that that these technologies are that we are really on the cusp of a huge across the board step forward uh and all these things are going to be integrated right so we don't have to just we don't have to build more stables downtown we need to start thinking about the interconnectivity of everything and you know I I swear to you like a lot of the people on the Seattle City Council are like the internet my daughter sends me pictures sometimes (laughs) of my granddaughter but I can't open them are they a PDF (laughs) or something I'm not anyway that's that's very surprising it's Shouldn't be because again, the people that typically run for local office are coming out of traditions that we have. You know, there's no there. There's what? What are the criteria for being the president of the United States?
0: Uh, you have to be a citizen. That's right. You have to be 35.
1: Correct. Uh, no felonies. Uh, no, you can have felonies. You cannot have ever been in open rebellion against the United States. Oh, so no treason, treason busters. No treason, no you cannot have declared allegiance to <laughs> no, no perfidy. To, <laughs> no perfidy. <laughs> but other than that, that is about oh, you have to have lived in the United States. You have to be a, 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 a born in America, but you also have to have lived in America for 15 years. So you can't be born in America and then go live in France your whole life and then run for US president. You have to there is a like a somewhat of a residency requirement. But other than that, there's no education requirement. There's no experience requirement. And that's true for a reason. Because the I, I think, personally, that the founders understood that the more that you make politics a profession, the more you risk – well, that it, in, 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 it invariably leads to an oligarchy where – the only people that can practice politics are the practiced politicians, mm-hmm. and yet that is our instinct every time, right? Like a lot of people have come to me and said, "Well, why are you running for city council? Why don't you run for uh, neighborhood uh, council?"
0: What's your real game?
1: And I'm like, "Well, I'm running for city council because that's the that is the job that I that I want, um, and there isn't, but they but the, but." But the conventional wisdom within this group of 500 people that know that there is even a city council is that the way you get this job is that you start on your college Democrats and you work some campaigns and you, um, you know, you spend some time as an activist and, and, and they, and there really is this kind of farm team mentality because those are the people who, you know, Those are the people who pursue elective office so often. And typically they are not reading wired, let's say, right? They are not, uh, they don't have a podcast. I don't know of any other candidates that have a podcast. And that, and I believe that we should be ruled by podcasters as a nation. Oh,
0: dear, dear, dear.
1: Right? Imagine, imagine uh, the McElroy brothers, uh, in the U S Senate.
0: I don't think I know who that is. The, um, is that the guy with the tall hat in the, in the, uh, in the Martin Scorsese movie But <laughs> Abraham
1: Lincoln? What's his name? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Abraham Lincoln the gangs of Capitol Hill, Abraham, uh, uh McElroy Incan, Incan Lincoln. No, the McElroys have a podcast. There's oh. some, there some nice guys. The McElroys, a- of course, all the great shows. Right, the McElroys. They live up uh, over the over yonder, uh, sure. across the Dell. Mm. And uh, sometimes mm-hmm. one of their daughters comes over here and marries one of the Roderick boys. We can sleep in my barn, but
0: <laughs> whatever you do. Um, um mm. yeah, I um. I don't know. I, I gosh, I, I find this, I do find this interesting as much as I find politics personally tedious. I think that there's, there's a lot about what you're trying to do that is extremely interesting. And the, the, the way that it has overflow with something else that I barely understand is management and the whole idea of like the role that managers or leaders, if you like, have inside of a company. And I don't know. It always seems, it always feels to me like people are trying to lavish uh, managers with, um, you know all, all these different ways to develop and educate and all these sorts of things, and then the real problem though is all these worker bees over here who just who just don't get how it goes. Mm. And, I, 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 and this is not you know this is not a perfect one to one relationship, but it seems like somebody in your position uh, has to really want that particular job, and to specifically has to really want to do a certain kind of work. That that requires a strange balance. I'm doing something with my two hands here. Um, so, like, on the one hand, it seems to me that a lot of your job is pretty, like, down in the weeds, like, implementation. Like, you're going to have to be involved in conversations about stuff that's going to happen in the next 3 to 6, 12, 15 months, right? There's stuff you're doing that it, is, it isn't just, you know, a philosophy party. There's stuff you're going to have to do every day that involves the extent to which the city continues to run efficiently. right? But but on the other hand, you have to make all of those decisions through a certain kind of lens. It seems to me like on the one hand, B, you're electing somebody who's great at implementing and is a good communicator. But A, also has the lens that you're looking for. So even though you're not walking into this situ- situation in a spacesuit with a ray gun uh, saying, I am John from the future, like you have the state of mind to go, I'm not, I'm not scared of the idea of – smart innovation in fact i'm going to welcome it and i'm going to make a part of my my creed to like keep an eye out for the stuff we don't need to just be thinking about this week because that'll always be there we'll always have the urgency of this week but like to be thinking about like how will i know the right pitch when it comes along like being able to keep up on the kinds of stuff that other people think is real tutti fruity can help you make great decisions about like you say let's be specific not building more stables in in your analogy like everybody's going to always want more stables because there's a there is a stable industry and people use stables etc but you know it's like the henry ford you know fast people what they wanted they would have said a faster horse right? S- right same idea like i don't know maybe i'm wrong about that but it seems like i was talking to, talking to a friend of mine the other day about your candidacy and saying like you know it, it seems even if you were to be say a senator a senator or a, a congress person but especially like a senator you have enough of a staff of people that You have to have a staff of people so that you can, on some level, stay up in the clouds a little bit with what you do. You don't want to have to make sure that every document got signed and every meeting got made. But in your case, you're not going to have more than, what, two or three people for staff? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to have to be heavily involved in a lot of those implementation details. So you can't you can't afford to be all up in the trees, but it does mean that – I'm not going anywhere with this. I just think it's really <laughs> valuable to have somebody there who even – just because you're not walking in carrying a sign doesn't mean you don't have your own idea of a vision. And part of that vision is not to specifically implement this thing, but to say we need to change the way we look at and think about options. Yeah. And that means making, we're to do that. We're going to have to all do something very weird and very courageous, which is to admit that the future is happening, whether we like it or not. Right. And the future is not going to present itself as an app within in-app purchases. It's going to come along as something that seems extremely strange at, and, and really out there at first, but in order to make the right infrastructure decisions, we have to be thinking beyond the end of our nose and realize what, what future do we want to have here and how does that affect what we implement?
1: Yeah, that's right. And uh, I, and we have lots of we have lots of role models right we're We are looking at San Francisco, your own town, and saying, "Wow, this wave of of prosperity crashed on San Francisco, and San Francisco has a culture, a traditional culture of like, Hey man, hey man, you're blocking my son, man." And so that you know, San Francisco is very laissez faire about stuff like um Well, culturally. It, culturally.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> they're but, not laissez faire about a lot of stuff.
1: Well they're not, but what has happened You need is, a permit to take a shit in this town. You can't well boy, a lot of people are getting permits then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Continue. Uh <laughs> now my opponent's gonna tell you uh, that we don't need uh, to have an operation for somebody coming in wanting want to get a license to defecate. Now I just want to point
1: point the candidate to the to the tenderloin district it's where I have done a personal count of the of the of the bolus. It's gotta be like a prescription pad that somebody ripped off of a doctor's desk. Like, hey, you need a, you want one of these shit forms for the next
0: thirty days? I can shit all I want. It's not funny on any level because it's not funny because it is real and gross, and it's also not funny because nobody shitting outside wants to be doing that. Mostly, exactly, right? It's fucking awful, and it's but it's emblematic, and you cannot get away from it. I just meant more of like, good luck trying to get your movie made in San Francisco. Like there's a reason Vancouver is thriving, and nobody makes movie, movies here anymore.
1: And Seattle has, you know, Seattle has experienced a lot of a lot of those same problems. And the thing is, we're we are just, you know, we are where San Francisco was some number of years ago. It's hard to know exactly how many years behind we are, but the money is pouring in. The social services are not keeping pace. The rent is going crazy. The middle class is getting pushed out. There is no. You know, we're, we're becoming a city where everybody is either making $200,000 or $20,000 and there is a Seattle alternative, there is a Seattle way of, of experiencing this growth that is different from anywhere else. We have to believe that that's true and we are able to impose our Values mm-hmm. on what's happening in our own city. But it does require some, it requires chutzpah, it requires will to say, wait, 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 wait. We all know that the free market is just a thought technology that we've all been <laughs> duped into believing. Um, it, <laughs> there aren't enough air quotes for the phrase <laughs> free market. <laughs> you know, it works if you believe in it. It doesn't work if you don't. It is just another. It works if it
0: benefits you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's just another idea. Yeah. It's not legally binding. Like none of these, none of these thought technologies that we have enshrined in law are any more legally binding than the laws that we have written to enshrine them. And so we are capable of writing new laws. We are capable of envisioning a new form of city and, and, Yet, it's never as simple as, I mean, there's, a, there's a, a kind of movement right now to try a new version of rent control, which is much closer to, uh, I think it's more accurately described as controlling the rent. Changing, hmm. changing the abilities of landlords to rent uh, according to what they think the market is and putting restrictions on like, well, rent is a different category of service now.
0: And oh, it's a, it's a really a
1: different approach. A completely different approach. I mean, like,
0: I'm sorry, that sounds really insipid. But instead of saying, like, here's a law about how much you can raise rent, it's taking it from a different angle.
1: Taking it from a different angle. Like, rent is a thing, and it's going to be tied to the consumer price index. So rents cannot rise any faster than the consumer price index. How's that for a new idea, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, that's a pretty novel idea. So
0: you, you said as much in your – I think on your webpage and probably in a speech or something, you said something pretty smart, which is that you were, you were you know, uh, gentle about it. But it sounded like you were basically saying what rent control does is ensure that anybody lucky enough to have gotten here a few years ago has cheap rent while everybody else just is swimming.
1: Yeah. Old-fashioned rent control just creates a new class of people that have cheap apartments. Mm-hmm. And those people are not v- – they don't have cheap apartments because they are virtuous and they don't even have have cheap apartments because they are needy. They just have them because they were there first. Um, But this new vision of rent control where it's just like, listen, rent is not a thing like gold and diamonds where the market determines that gold is suddenly worth $1,700 an ounce when a year and a half ago it was worth $400 an ounce. And we all go along with that because mm-hmm. we believe it, we believe that the market and the, the, these factors, scarcity, et cetera, et cetera, like that, these are somehow real forces, like the wind. Um, but we can say no. The as people's wages rise, so too can rents rise, but in a in a way that is commensurate. The problem with that is that it it's this this it's this old game of like, well, does that apply to commercial rents too? Right. Uh, because well, the hard
0: part's going to be the enforcement, right? I mean, in some ways, like the the innumerable loopholes people will find, or like the way the Ellis Act has worked in San Francisco has just been a debacle.
1: Well, the know? number one way that people will get around it is they'll say, "Great, I'm turning my apartment building into condominiums," right. Go fuck yourself.
0: Oh, you're back to whack-a-mole now. I mean, it's unfortunately, <laughs> uh-huh. there's not a better word for that, but it, it does actually really describe how much life is like The Sims, where like there's this one little thing that you think you're fixing here could just be making seven small problems somewhere else you can't even figure out. It's butterfly farts everywhere you go. <laughs> well, thank you for saving me a few minutes this afternoon. Yes, yes, John. You were saying butterfly
1: farts. Right. A butterfly farts in China. And all of a sudden, uh, you're paying $4,500 for a studio apartment you're so in so much
0: closer to the country lawyer than you realize. No Nobody sits around in their own cocoon and feels bad about the scent of their flouters. But the butterfly on on the run, he's he's flying through China and he's farting up a breeze. Now, that is one of the most growing economies alongside of India that you could possibly have. You're going to see climate change. You're going to see a funicular. It's going to be real super confusing for everybody.
1: Oh, the butterfly on the run. He's on the hoof. <laughs> now see there's innovation that's probably making him go a little faster sometimes. You know, and the thing is Seattle the, the way the, the the way the wind blows across the pacific it hits Seattle first. <laughs> that's going to look good on license plates. I'm telling you, when I'm on the city council, this is how city council meetings are going to go. Horse before cart. Butterfly farts. <laughs> <When laughs> Get there, on the fucking funicular. <laughs> there's a guy in this town building the last butterfly stable, and I want to meet that man. Uh huh. Barts people.
0: So here's a man who feeds ducks. All he has left is his barn. <laughs>
1: oh, my God.
0: Oh, you sound like you're holding up really well, though.
1: Well, yeah, but, but, uh, but, but I, you know, I mean, the, 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 the number one thing I'm scared about is the, uh, is that it that 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 there's ugliness to this process i don't believe that ugliness is necessary i don't think it has any place in it and yet i know that it is there ugliness is there and um and i and i'm i'm just not looking forward to the ugliness getting activated
0: um, amongst the the voters, the media could be anywhere. it could, could be another be, candidate. it, it could, could be. come from
1: anywhere right yeah, yeah but, yeah. Yeah. but
0: the, and the closer you get to um, I mean it sounds like you 're already being taken maybe surprisingly seriously, but as you are taken more and more seriously, it may not may not be so there today, but as you get closer to August and you become threats the wrong word, as you become more of a viable candidate then you're going you to get to be a bigger target,
1: right? Right. Well, so I went, I I, I sat down at t- two big tables. One of them was with the Sierra Club and they interviewed me because they are trying to decide who they're going to endorse in my race. The Sierra Club and I sat at a table and, uh, you know, they're bored or whatever and we talked about things.
0: Oh, man, you could develop some programs for them.
1: And then I sat at a table with the Seattle Chamber of Commerce. And for the Seattle Chamber of Commerce meeting, I put in the address of the Seattle Chamber of Commerce and I put it into Apple Maps. Oh, no. I saw this. Which took me to, uh, which took me to the top of a windmill <laughs> uh, out on the beach somewhere. And I was like, please, somebody draw that. Fuck you. You know, I'm in my little suit. I got my briefcase oh, and I'm John. like, this is not where the Seattle Chamber of Commerce is. So I'm late for the meeting. I show up back at the, at the meeting. I, you know, they, they wait for me. I walk in. For whatever reason, that day I chose to wear a tweed suit. So I'm in a tweed suit. I'm a half an hour late. And I appear to be the guy who believes, who doesn't know where downtown is and who (laughs) legitimately thought that the Seattle Chamber of Commerce was in a windmill. John Roderick, he's the candidate who's still learning. Right. So I'm like, "Hi everyone. Sorry I'm late. I really am sorry that I uh, appear to be the exactly the kind of candidate that would not know how to find the Seattle Chamber of Commerce. But I'm here now. Let's talk." And we talk, and they're asking me questions. And you know, and I and they go around the table and introduce themselves and and each one of them is like, "Hello, I'm the legal counsel for the big major developer. I'm the, you know, I'm the property development officer for the local sports franchise The snidely whiplash group i'm the uh you know i am scrooge mcduck's uh like treasure bath consultant and so i'm sitting at the table and we're talking and i'm just like listen you know what um funiculars (laughs) and uh anybody and they're like Funiculars, and they all lean forward and write down on their pad. And at the end of the thing, I was like, "Listen, there's no way that you guys are going to endorse me. I understand that. Um, all I want to, all I want you to understand is that when I do get elected, I want you to feel like you can work with me. Oh, that's good. And they're all like, uh. and and then I said a couple of more things about uh, funiculars. And zip lines, and at one point I said, "You know, here's a thing I never hear about. Why don't we just make? Why don't we just print more money?" <laughs> we did not. No, nobody laughs. laughs. You know, they all just they all just look up and then look down and write on their pads. Mm. Google like, all funicular. Right. All right, I see how this is going. And then as I leave, you know, I'm like, once again, sorry that I was late. Uh, I believe in uh, I believe in small businesses and free enterprise. God bless America. Uh, and um, I do hope that we will see each other again. Goodbye. And I walk out, and I'm in the lobby talking to the receptionist, and I hear a huge laugh. Like the whole room starts laughing. Oh, shit. And I'm like, are they laughing because one of them said, we should absolutely endorse that guy, and they all are laughing in agreement? Or are they laughing uh, because they are full of fear? Or are they laughing because someone said something funny, uh, completely unrelated just to break the tension that I created in the room? Who knows? I know that they're not, they can't be laughing, uh, at me as an unserious candidate because I raised more money in a week than any city council candidate has ever raised in Seattle's history. So uh, they know that that is real, you know? Uh, so. Who knows the seattle city or the Seattle Chamber of Commerce is not going to pick me as their endorse, endorser endorsee right but um but when I win the election i'm going to show back up there and i'm going to say so funiculars scimitar <laughs> <laughs> scimitar. <laughs>